Filthy Henry, Accidental Legend, Chapter 14. Filthy Henry rolled up his shirt sleeves, held his hands out over Shelley's unconscious form on the sofa, and concentrated. Around him the few candles which Cahill had been able to scrounge up from around the house had been placed at four compass points, their flames flickering from the draught in the house. At best, judging from the size of the candles, they would burn for roughly thirty minutes. Not exactly the best situation to be in when it came to casting healing magic but beggar magicians could not be choosers. Healing magic was something the fairy detective rarely cast on other people, by sheer virtue of how complex the spells involved were. Most of the time, due to the limited amount of magical available to him, Filthy Henry only performed simple healing spells on himself. Ones to bring down the swelling of a black eye slightly, or stop a shallow cut from bleeding. Truly great healing required more magic than the fairy detective would ever have even after binging on cheeseburgers in order to convert the food into magical energy. Not to mention that it took years, sometimes decades, to learn exactly how the body behaved while undergoing healing magic. Most stories implied a simple wave of the wand and a few hours sleep would have a person right as rain in no time. But it was more complicated than that. Healing magic required a person to truly understand that if you fixed something in one area, it might have a negative effect on other parts of the body. Otherwise, there was a very real risk that the arm you reattached to a person could start acting like a leg. The fairy detective, however, knew the risks involved with healing magic. Once before, he had tried to help Shelley after she had been stabbed in the stomach. It had not gone well at all, resulting in a rapid teleportation to the best healer in all of Ireland, so that Filthy Henry's healing attempt could be undone. Regardless of what most people thought about him, Filthy Henry was a very fast learner when it came to his limitations. Right then he knew the exact spell that was needed to help Shelley, and it involved no healing at all. Bunty Dooley's bar on Pier Street had, for years, been regarded as a magical place. This is generally considered the highest form of praise in a world with fairies, where magic is a common thing. Located on the corner of Park Lane and Pier Street, directly opposite the Trinity City Hotel, Bunty Dooley's bar had withstood the tests of not only time, but mortal interference as well. To the normal human eye, it was a run-down, boarded-up, dilapidated building which had been vacant for years. Something of an eyesore to all who passed by. Yet every year when those in political power brought up the topic of knocking the building down, or revitalising it, so that it looked nicer, The votes always, mysteriously, came back against the motion. Nobody questioned why, and instead the political people turned their attention to the newest tax they could impose on ordinary folk for a laugh. To the fairy eye, however, Bunty's looked inviting. It had a standard bar front with stained glass windows that shifted both colour and design as they were observed. More importantly, this unassuming bar was the only neutral place in all of Dublin where a fairy could come and get a drink. Magic was allowed within its walls, but any sort of violence was met with swift and powerful justice. 
Not that many fairy folk were brave enough to try anything once inside. Bunty Dooley had total say over who could frequent her establishment and who could sit outside on the street with nothing but their tears to drink. This was helped in no small part by the fact that Bunty was a sea. A race of powerful and ancient fairies with abilities that put them above almost all other races. Bunty herself was known throughout Ireland as one of the greatest healers. No small achievement when all sea were more or less equally powerful. Which was why Filthy Henry projected his mental form directly into her bar, five feet away from her. If you needed to get a crash course in healing magic, you did not go looking for the second best healer in the land. You went straight to the top. Plus, projections were a lot easier for a half-breed with limited magical powers to do them than a full-on round-trip teleport spell. Bunty Dooley was putting some empty glasses onto a tray when the fairy detective appeared. The bar itself was empty of any patrons. Bunty put the tray down on a nearby table and slowly straightened up, turning around to stare at Filthy Henry's ghostly visage with her completely blue eyes. You know this counts as being in here while you're barred, she said, a Northern Irish lilt to her voice. Filthy Henry smiled. You said I wasn't to step foot in here for a month. I haven't, see? He indicated his astral form as it floated two feet off the ground. Bunty Dooley raised an eyebrow and crossed her arms. When I say you're barred, that isn't just an excuse for you to try and be clever. You could have walked in here on your hands and it still wouldn't mean you could come in. Barred means do not come back until otherwise told you can. The fairy detective opened his mouth in mock surprise and drifted forward on unfelt wind. Sometimes, it was nice to use magic for fun things, like floating in a ghostly form rather than constantly needing it to throw fireballs around. Look, it's important enough, all right, Filthy Henry said. I only break rules when it's important. You break the rules all the time, Bunty said, as she collected her tray of empty glasses and started walking back to the bar counter. Ha! See what you did there, the fairy detective said, floating after her like a balloon. Impressive. Usually you can't tell the case of a letter when it's spoken. Capital or, because you think I break the fairy rules all the time, which I don't, not at all. At least not so much that people would know. Shall I? Bunty said. Sometimes Filthy Henry wondered why he sought help from Bunty. They had known each other for at least a few decades at this stage. Most people would have classed that as friendship, complete with all the ups and downs associated with being friends. All Filthy Henry saw was somebody with too much of his history stored away in her beautiful head. Mental ammunition to be used in every little argument they had. Look, I just need your help with some healing, okay? Shelley touched an artefact earlier today and it seems to have knocked her out. I didn't want to try anything myself without talking to the expert first, since I've never really dealt with an artefact before. Bunty Dooley started to drop the glasses, one by one, into a wooden barrel filled with water. When the last one slipped beneath the water, she clicked her elegant fingers. The water began to move in a clockwise motion, bubbling slowly. A dishwasher was hardly the most novel of ideas for fairy folk to steal from the human world but one made from an old barrel definitely looked the part. What artefact? Bunty asked. You know better than to try and meddle around with those things. They're for certain mortals at specific times only. This isn't my first day, Filthy Henry said, floating upwards so that he hovered over the countertop. I'm only suicidal on a Monday morning. That's why I sent Drew to go and collect it for me. The Druid? The sea asked. I wouldn't trust him to collect milk from the fridge. But explain yourself. If he was sent to collect it, what's this got to do with Shelley? 
Oh, you didn't send her to. You idiot. There were very few people in the world that could call Filthy Henry an idiot and get the inflection of the word just right, so that he knew it was meant. Not just a word thrown out in the heat of the moment, nor something that was used as a term of endearment. When Bunty Dooley called him an idiot, she meant it. If somebody had walked in right then, climbed into the barrel of water, and dropped a working hairdryer into the soapy liquid, he would have been higher in Bunty's standing than Filthy Henry was right then. Sometimes it was easy to be made feel like a child, even when biologically you were an adult, if the person berating you had centuries under their belt. Filthy Henry felt compelled to look at his shoes sheepishly, just to avoid the risk of seeing disappointment in Bunty's eyes. I didn't do it on purpose, he said. I told Drew we should be the one to pick up the artefact, but Shelley spotted it before the useless Baldwin could. She reached up and touched it. And the magic in her blood as a result of your wish to bring her back to life made the artefact treat her like a fairy creature and shocked her. Is that about the size of it? Filthy Henry nodded his incorporeal head once. What's the artefact? Bunty asked. Cucullin's hurdy stick, the fairy detective mumbled. Bunty Dooley sighed and shook her head. You got lucky, she said. That one is attuned to males only. It would never work for a female, even if she was a direct descendant of Cucullin. I would say that Shelley was just knocked unconscious for a bit. Make a dandelion tea and leave it stewing close enough for her to smell. She doesn't need to drink it. The vapour will sort her out and wake her up. The fairy detective looked up at Bounty Dooley. That's it. Nothing more. No magic or spells or anything required. That seems a little too simple. There has to be something more. No. If it had been a male who touched the hurley stick when they weren't meant to, then things would be different. Shelley, despite knowing you, got lucky. She reached across and much to his surprise grabbed Filthy Henry by the ghostly collar of his shirt. But you had better tell her what really happened that night. Or else something worse might happen to her in the future. She needs to know that her body has changed. Even if it is just a tiny bit of magic. You tell her or I will. Fine, fine, Filthy Henry said, batting her hands with his own. His hands just passed straight through the seas. Just so we're clear, you're barred for another week, Bunty Dooley said. Also, when you get back to your body, you'll have a wee reminder to ensure you tell Shelley the whole story. Enjoy. She briefly placed her hand on his right forearm, tapping her long, slender fingers on it. Then, without saying a word, Bunty Dooley shoved the fairy detective so hard that he flew across the room and straight through the wall. The act seemed to disrupt his spell and caused a rapid return flight across the country. Filthy Henry slammed back into his own body with such force, it knocked him over, onto his back in Cahill's house. Did you get the info? Drew asked. Make me some dandelion tea, Filthy Henry said, impressed that Bunty Dooley had been able to throw him back into his body against his will. On his right arm, there was a slight tingle that ran the whole way around the forearm. Filthy Henry switched to his fairy vision and examined the area, seeing the faint golden line of a spell appear on his skin. Another indication, not one that was needed, which showed just how powerful Bunty Dooley really was. She had been able to cast a spell on his physical body via the projection. A rather nasty spell at that. Ah, oh, crap, Filthy Henry said. Traipsing through the woods had never been Noel's idea of a nice way to spend his time. It involved far too much walking and a sizable amount of concentration to avoid tripping over roots. 
Then there was the wildlife. Always with the wildlife. Every bush seemed to have a tiny creature inside just watching Noel walk by. As if they had nothing better to do than spy on randomly passing humans. Of course there was the added problem with forest walks. The hidden dips in the ground. Layer after layer of dirt and leaves obscured holes in the ground. Ripe for ankles to be twisted or feet to get stuck in. More than once in his life, Noel had face planted straight into the ground. All because nature had hidden a hole from sight. It was why battles were, thankfully, only fought in wide open spaces. If they had been based in forests and woods, Noel would have taken up fishing instead to earn some coin. For Noel, walking through the wooded area with the crone ranked highly on the list of things he would rather not be doing. Especially after himself and True had only just come back from a walk through the forest. To make matters worse, it was night time. Because darkness always made it easier to see things clearly. Then there was the minor fact that the crone on her own freaked him out with her gnarled hands and overpowering smell of earwax. Nald had never even considered earwax had a smell until being close enough to Lauren so that his nostrils were assaulted. But Maeve had told him to go with the crone so off he had gone. Despite her seemingly advanced years and old body Lauren was navigating the forest without any issues at all. She was doing a lot better than Nald a spirit possessing a man supposedly in the prime of life. In fact, Noel found it slightly annoying that the old crone had not managed to stumble her trip once. As this thought crossed his mind, a tree root snagged his left foot, causing him to lose balance and fall. The crone reached out and grabbed hold of his right arm with a vice-like grip. You should mind how you go, she said. Noel managed to smile at the wizened face looking at him. Why can't we just take the path and slip into the trees further along? Because they could be watching that way for anybody approaching, Lauren said, releasing his arm and continuing on her way. I know you think people need guards to watch for things, but the half-breed can do it all with magic if he wanted. It was a valid point. But they had walked so deep into the woods that Noel was beginning to think that any moment they would stumble across some teddy bears having a picnic. Through the trees he caught sight of the run-down house that Cahill Cullen lived in. True, anything compared to the crone's hovel in the woods was going to be an improvement. But the house looked only marginally better. This way, the crone said, veering right and moving deeper into the forest. Noel followed without question, as he moved cautiously along, checking for any signs that they were being watched. They kept close to the trees, and in Noel's case, ducked down when moving from hiding spot to hiding spot. After a few minutes, Lawrence stopped and sat down on the ground, facing the house. Noel kept low and sat beside her using a small bush as a buffer for his personal space. They remained silent for a while and simply watched the house. One room on the ground floor had a light on. Other than that, the house appeared to be empty. Maybe they aren't in, Noel said. Shh, the crone hissed. Whisper. She placed her hand on the ground and closed her eyes. Around them the wind began to blow rustling the leaves. Noel watched as Lauren sat motionless, then opened her eyes. They're in there, she whispered. How'd you know that from putting your hand on the ground? Spiders are in the house, Lauren replied. Despite being brought back from the dead, ignoring the fact that he was currently inhabiting another man's body, disregarding the minor point that Maeve had been thrown forward in time, Noel found it hard to believe 
that the crone had just used magic to see in the house through the eyes of spiders. He felt so strongly on the topic that he decided not to let it go unspoken. Ag, way out of that. There's no way you just look through a spider's eyes inside that derelict house. Lauren sighed. Of course I didn't. That's wasteful magic, she said. I asked the ones out here to check with the ones in there, and they got the message back to me. Just like they're after telling me that in a few hours somebody's going to come out that door. Hours. Spiders can predict the future now. No, Lauren said. But when you don't understand time as we do, covering large distances can seem like it would take a long time. Clearly they meant somebody's coming out the door right now. Right then the front door opened and two people stepped outside. One was Cahill, and the other his female friend, the bar girl from the pub. So what are you going to do? Noel whispered. Kill her in front of him? The crone smiled. Oh, nothing so obvious and crass as that. I always find it more fun to sow a little chaos into the mix, rather than just end things permanently. If that is the object of Cahill's affections, then I think we need a little love spell. She held out her hand and a small ball, no larger than an apple seed, of pink light appeared. Tiny trails of pink smoke drifted off the ball as it floated just above the crown's hand. A love spell that causes a little chaos, Lauren said, flicking her hand in the direction of Alice and sending the little pink ball sailing through the air towards her. Noel had never claimed to understand women. He had managed to bed ladies back in the day due to copious amounts of ale for both of them. Nine times out of ten he had snuck away before she had woken up. The tenth time they had left without waking him, although their husbands had decided to do the waking instead in some instances. So when Lauren said that she was going to use a love spell to prevent Cahill ruining Maeve's plans, it confused Noel greatly. A love spell? Are you feeling all right? You know that sounds like crazy talk in there, right? Alice said. Cahill tried very hard to focus on the words that she said, but the sound of her voice was like music. Plus the fact that she was standing directly in front of him, outside his house, was one of those moments you had to savour. True, you could argue that the circumstances were less than romantic. But Cahill had seen enough soppy romantic movies to know that great relationships could be started in far worse situations. Of course, that was assuming you had somebody brilliant writing every line of dialogue and event in your life. Which, as Cahill realised, would have been very useful at that moment in time, since every word he had ever used in his lifetime had decided to leave his mind. So much so that he could not even describe the plant that was meant to tumble through dusty scenes. Cahill simply stared and said nothing. Alice frowned at his lack of response. Okay, well I'm going home now. Alice said. She stopped talking, zipped up her coat and started to walk away from the house. Wait, Cahill said, as words flooded into his mind once more and the ability to speak returned. Alice stopped and turned around. Look, I don't believe half of what those guys say in there, but they seem to really think I'm actually somebody. That without me, something bad's going to happen. Have you been drinking? Cahill couldn't help the big smile from spreading across his face. No, that's the thing. I haven't had a drink in days. Phil the Henry saw to that. He has me sobering up. Why? Alice asked. Is he like some amazing sponsor or something? 
Does he know the best way to beat a person's demon in the bottle? Well, not exactly. For years, I didn't want to stop drinking. Because I was pretty sure that all the collective hangovers would happen at once and my brain would melt out of my ears. Plus, Filthy Henry's kind of a jerk. So it isn't all about helping me and more about me being less annoying around him. He's like the sponsor from hell. You'd get sober whether it was something that you wanted or not. Alice let out a little laugh, an angelic sound to Cahill's ears. Well, he is a bit of an arse, she said. I mean, we bring home his friend, and all he's done since is push people around and get snotty. Not to mention that voodoo crap he pulled with the candles. What was that all about? Well, as mad as it is to say it, that's probably not crap. I've seen him do things. Like, proper magical things. I can't explain it, just take my word. He's like Merlin or something. It's why I think the tale that spun me might actually be true. At least some of it. But we both know I'm no hero. Sometimes the stars align in a man's favour for no reason, other than a planet's movement. Other times there's something in the air that causes the mood to be perfectly set. Whether it's an actual measurable change in the air, or just some noxious gases released by plants, is for cosmic biologists to decide. A somewhat obscure and probably made-up field of study. Whatever the reason at that moment, Alice leaned over and gave Cahill a kiss on the cheek. Blood rushed to his face, and he could feel his cheeks going bright red. He was also very thankful that the blood had travelled north instead of south. I've always said you had it in you to be great, Cahill, Alice said, rubbing his cheek gently. You just decided that after school, going on a bender for the rest of your life was a better way to spend your time. Cahill was not entirely sure how to proceed. For a large portion of his life, Alice had been the object of his unrequited love. Now she was giving him kisses on the cheek and telling him that he had the potential to do great things. He found his courage was bolstered by the kiss. Here's any chance you could stay around, just until this is done. Seriously, it would mean a lot to me if you're here. Maybe you'll see another side to me too. He held his breath and looked at her, praying to whoever was listening for an assist. Alice suddenly reached up and slapped at the back of her neck. Ouch, she said, tugging just beneath her hair. Did you get stoned by something? Cahill asked, stepping around to examine the spot in her neck. Yeah, or bit by something. Can you see anything back there? No, just the redness from you slapping your skin. Why don't you come back inside so I can get a proper look under the light? Make sure it isn't infected. Alice shrugged. Sure, but I really should be going. I have work to do. And this really was meant to be just a flying visit. To drop off that lady with the bald fella. Filthy Henry, Accidental Legend is a novel by Derek Power. More Filthy Henry novels are available to buy on Amazon Kindle. Narration and music by Niall Milton. To keep up to date with episodes this season, why not subscribe or like or share? We'd really appreciate it.